Our meditation for this first Sunday after Christmas is on our Old Testament reading. Hear the word of our Lord from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1-16. through 16. Now when the king arrived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Our grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The day before Christmas Eve, my oldest son asked my wife, if he could go and get a present for her and for me. He saw how we had wrapped presents for him, and while he had more than one from us, he realized at some point that he hadn't given us any. So he asks his mother to take him to the store, and she says yes on the condition that he couldn't pick anything out that was too expensive. I was barbecuing at the time, grilling burgers outside, so I saw them head out while he was making excited little hums and giggles. He was happy to get us gifts. And about 15 minutes later, they park in our spot, and he runs, 
sprints even, with the biggest grin on his face, to come and give me a chocolate bar. I remember hearing him give me this breathless, Merry Christmas, as he proudly placed it in my hand. This wasn't a child giving his father a present out of boredom or duty. His mother did not have to cajole him or encourage him to give to his parents. No, instead he did it out of pure joy at the thought of giving to the man and woman who were giving him everything he had. Now don't get me wrong, my son is typically a loud, boisterous little boy, and that of course comes with all sorts of misbehavior. Trust me when I say that this was a surprising gesture from him. But it brought a lot of joy to our household, even though he didn't really pay for the chocolate. And even if he did, he was getting a lot more than he was giving. Today's Old Testament reading reminds me of this. King David, the man after God's own heart, decides he wants to do something for our Lord. After all, he understood that God had given him the throne over all Israel, given him victory over all his enemies, and delivered him from countless disasters. God would later show immeasurable mercy in permitting King David to live after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. Even before then, God still delivered him from the hand of King Saul and granted him an earthly kingdom after he spent a large amount of time as something like a land pirate, a marauder. King David had much to be thankful for. God had given him everything, and at this point in his life, he felt the need to do something for our Lord. A token of gratitude, a favor, anything to please God. So the monarch walks the halls of his home, and he gets an idea. The priests make sacrifices before the tabernacle, a tent which had been in use since the years following the exodus. How could that be fair that the lowly King David should reside in a royal palace, while the Ark of the Covenant dwelt in a mere house of cloth? Wouldn't it be wonderful if he could honor and laud our Lord by providing a temple? Now isn't that like my son getting me a candy bar? My son, being a mere child, could not have given me anything that I couldn't go out and get myself. How much more silly is it that David, despite his royal majesty and mighty acts, would think that he could offer the almighty and omnipotent God, the creator of the entire universe, something that he didn't have? At any time, should he so wish, our Heavenly Father could blink and make massive temples for himself. He could will a temple the size of all the earth into existence if he felt like it. There is absolutely nothing that a lowly human being could ever hope to give him as if he didn't already own the entirety of everything. We should expect our Lord to laugh at King David in derision. Man is nothing, after all, at least before God, right? Perhaps we might even think that God should be angry with David. 
After all, the Mosaic Covenant says plainly that worship was to be conducted at the tabernacle and only at the tabernacle, not some temple. For David to offer to make a house for God might be seen as tantamount to the strange fire debacle where God killed two of Aaron's sons when they introduced unauthorized religious practices. We should expect wrath to be showered on the sheer audacity of a man saying, Lord, I love you, so I wish to change how worship is done, despite what you said in your law, this is me thanking you. When you think about it that way, it is as though my son were to offer me a new wife, something I don't want and would be offended to even think about. Knowing this, we must be sorely confused that God does not pronounce terrifying judgment on King David after he starts making the offer of a temple. Of course, he does say plainly that he does not need a temple, as he has never asked for one nor commanded it. But instead of condemning David for bringing the idea forward, God blesses the man. He not only blesses King David, he blesses his progeny, his lineage, and all humanity through David in the same way that he blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. God first reminds David that he brought the man to the throne and all of his victories. He took a poor shepherd boy and elevated him to be the greatest of ancient Israel's rulers. He delivered David from the hand of King Saul and gave him victory over the Philistines, the Syrians, the Moabites, and more, including the times when their armies brought forth giants like Goliath. On the one hand, this was a way to protect God's people from their enemies. On the other, to King David's benefit, all of these battles solidified him as the undisputed champion and monarch over all the promised land. So our Lord responds to the king of Israel by saying, I do not need a temple. But don't you remember how I brought you to the position you are in today? You are thinking of blessing me because I have blessed you. And indeed, I have brought you great things and made you a great man. Yet our Lord does not stop there. He starts granting promises about the future as well. I will make for you a great name, he says. King David, despite his sins and humble beginnings, despite his reputation, will go down in history as a great man, not some podunk ruler over rural territory. I will appoint a place for my people and will plant them, meaning there will be a safe place for God's people, and King David plays a role in establishing it. He says, I will give you rest from all your enemies, promising that there would also be a day that David gets to experience the satisfaction of all his labors being completed. Then. Going beyond the king's death, God makes a striking promise. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Here, King David was planning to make a house for God, 
and God turns the tables and promises to make a house for King David. To our shock, beloved, instead of mocking or attacking him, the Lord says that he will bring about great things for David. King David cannot do anything to give God something he doesn't already have. But in the face of the offer, God says that he will give great things to King David. It is a momentous occasion of grace, where the undeserving receive blessing that they could never earn. To put a finer point on it, the grace which God gives to David is part of granting grace to all people, including you and me. He says that a son of David shall have an established kingdom, and this very son will be one to build a house, a temple for the Lord. That son is Solomon. We might be tempted to say that this individual descendant of David, to whom our Lord refers, is Christ, who rules the world and builds a more enduring house, the church. But the text also says, When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. And this cannot apply to our Lord Jesus, who never sinned. Yet Solomon truly sinned deeply, and despite his later sins, he built the temple and maintained the house of David which led to Christ. God promises that his steadfast love shall not depart from Solomon, the son of David, even though he will sin and be disciplined. This is for the sake of the throne of David. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and your throne shall be established forever. The throne of David shall endure forever and must have someone seated upon it, and though there was a pause in the scepter of Judah being held by a Davidic monarch, namely between the Old and New Testaments, our Lord restored the throne by placing his only begotten Son upon it. In other words, when David offers to build a temple for God, God says that he will build a house and a throne for David, for the sake of all humanity. On account of this showering of immeasurable grace upon David, a line was preserved for the sake of salvation. And through this preservation, Christ went on to have all authority in heaven and on earth, and salvation is offered to all who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. So, beloved, at the heart of the matter, what does all this mean? King David thinks about doing something good for God, and then God turns around and tells him nothing less than, I'm going to bless your socks off. But what does that mean for us? Beloved, it means that to the penitent believer, God provides endless grace. David was a man after God's own heart. He lived in penitent faith and earnestly desired to serve our Lord with everything that he was. Even when he sinned, he repented and did his best to get back on the true path. On account of God's promises to this ancient king, that same treatment belongs to you and me. 
he sees the penitent, faithful believer and turns around to bless them beyond what they could possibly imagine. This means forgiveness, salvation, heaven, providence, fellowship, and more. Just as on Christmas Day my boy received a good number of wonderful presents from his family, even though his part in giving was relatively small, so too do we believers receive far more than we could ever give. And on account of that, let us praise, trust, and obey our Lord from this day forward and forevermore. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.